I hope you will more than clap. <laughs> I hope you will listen to his exhortation, and especially if you have not volunteered for any ministry before or currently, you can go to the tables at the end of the service before you leave and find out where you can use your spiritual gift and passion to serve. Now, uh, you know, when, when we become Christians, we read the Bible and we read Jesus giving us many commands. And some of those commands are dif- more difficult than others. Let me give you two examples. Luke 6, 27, 28, where he said, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then he also said, Luke 14, 33, So therefore, no one of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. And there are other commands that are equally difficult. And today we want to look at one passage which is actually quite challenging to exegete. Luke 17 and verse 1 to 10. And since you have been sitting down for half an hour now, it's time to get up and read. Come on. (laughs) And let's read out loud the Word of God. This is God's Word to us this day. Are you ready? Ready? Go. Jesus said to His disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready? And wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will speak these words so clearly to each one of us to strengthen our faith and our obedience so that we may glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Thanks. Please be seated. Now, this is a, a difficult passage, and I want you to know that uh, for the people who, are, who belong to charismatic, you know, Pentecostal churches, 
There's one scripture they like very much, and that is verse 5 and 6. So let's show that frame. All right, verse 5 uh, and 6, the middle portion of the text. Okay. All right. Now notice in verse 5, the disciples asked the Lord, increase our faith, and which Pentecostal doesn't want more faith? Okay. And then Jesus said something rather strange sounding, which does not seem to you know, be very realistic. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and, plant, and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, let me ask, how many of you have ever commanded a tree to be thrown in the, into the sea before? Okay, maybe you have tried, but it hasn't worked <laughs> for a very good reason. So, a lot of Pentecostal churches will tend to just preach verse 5 and 6 by itself. That means literally lifting it out of its context. And in that sense, we misunderstood what Jesus actually wanted to say. Now, it's interesting that Luke puts this story, even though there are other similar accounts, but he puts this particular account and sandwiches it between two other passages that are equally disturbing and difficult. Are you following me? So to understand what verse 5 and 6 really means, how to apply it in our lives, we must understand the context in which it was given. So increase our faith to do what? Look at the verses before verse 5. When your brother sins against you and you need to forgive your brother, you need more faith. Right? And look at the verses after that which is the servant doing his duty and even after he has done his duty, he is not to be thanked. And Jesus concludes by saying, verse 10, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. That means even after you have obeyed the most difficult commands, like forgiving your brother seven times in a day, you are to say, I just have obeyed. That's all. I've just obeyed what God has expected, uh, have uh, commanded me to do. Okay? So, I'm just giving you one broad sweep. This is the context that we are dealing with so that we can connect all the three parts of the passage together. Are you with me? All right? So you are, you are a bit blessed because I didn't do that last night. And, you know, some people are trying to connect, you know. What, what does this part have to do with this part, right? So now I want to ask the little ones to stand. All those who are in the children's church, will you stand where, wherever you are? This is family worship and, you know, you are special. Come on, come on, stand. All the young children in the service, there's one up here also. Come on, him, him, stand. Okay, stand on the chair, maybe you can see them better. All right, now I want you to look at all these young little ones. Huh? And as you look at them, I want you to remember, this is what Jesus said. If you, it's better for you not to stumble them by what you do or say. You know? And that means we, we must be careful because they're looking at us. And if you stumble them and you cause them to lose faith in God, it is better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you be thrown and drowned in the sea. Oh, that's very serious, right? Thank you, little ones. You can sit down. Okay? And it's not just the little ones in biological age, but also 
the younger believers. So, in other words, we have a very heavy responsibility towards the other believers, especially those young in faith, that we do not stumble them. Let me ask, how many of you think this is easy? That means, you know, I, whatever I do, you know, I will never stumble anybody. Now, how many of you think it's easy? Okay, how many of you think this is quite difficult? Yeah, a lot of honest people here. The coffee has started to work, you know. <laughs> you realize, oh, yo, this is serious stuff, man. I don't want a millstone tied around my neck, <laughs> okay? Yeah, and then Jesus went on to say that if your brother sins against you, you must, you know, what do you do? Rebuke him. Now, typically what happens is this. If your brother sins against you, what do you do? You avoid him. You go to the Saturday service so you don't have to see his face, right? <laughs> it's easier, right? And, you know, why confront? You know, it's so, you know, so difficult. And those who are more spiritual will say, Oh, Lord, forgive him for he knows not what he does. <laughs> and avoid the issue. Yesterday after the service, on the way out, one sister told me, Pastor Isaac, how to forgive? I see her every day in the service, every week. He's sitting there. How to forgive? <laughs> you know, it's real. It's not easy. I mean, if you're honest, that this is something quite difficult. And because of this, I mean, especially your feelings are involved. You no, know, this sister is very, very honest, you know. You know, how to forgive? Even if I forgive, I cannot forget. <laughs> No wonder, because it happens again and again. No wonder the disciples, on hearing these two commands, don't stumble the little ones, forgive your brother up to seven times in the one day. They say, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I need more faith. <laughs> this is very hard, <laughs> okay? And then Jesus gave them a very strange answer in verse 6. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted the seed, it will obey you. Now, what is Jesus saying? He says, all you need is faith like this mustard seed. Now, can you imagine how tiny it is? Some of us, you know, past 40, 50, need to have reading glass to see the mustard seed. Okay, it's so small. And Jesus says, it's not how big a faith you need it is rather do you have faith at all that's the more important question you see now as you will see that jesus takes the teaching right down towards the end of this passage and he's telling us what we really need is more obedience and humility and we should see ourselves as god's slaves we owe him simple and unquestioning obedience. Even after we have obeyed, we should simply acknowledge we have just done what is required and say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only what that which we have ought to have done, okay? So, when we come to the difficult passages of Scripture, come with humility, Come with a heart of obedience. Now, 
Just in case you're wondering, is it wrong to ask God for faith? More faith? No, it's never wrong. In fact, we need to grow in our faith to the place where we will implicitly obey. We will instinctively obey even without thinking twice, right? Where we will obey first and ask questions later. Are you with me? Obey first and ask questions later. Instead of asking questions first and then obeying only when we are satisfied with God's answers, explanations. Can you see the difference between the two? Can you see? One is, okay, I'll do it. And later on, you tell me why, okay? The other one is, tell me why first. Why? Ah? I don't like the answer. Lah. <laughs> then, you don't do it. So, there's a big difference. And sometimes, by the time God explains to you why, it's too late. You're walking, you know, you're walking down a path and God says, stop, turn back, you know. Why? 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 Boom, you fall under the hole. That's why. It's too late. So it is important for us to learn to obey God and when we recognize His voice, to obey implicitly without asking questions. And it seems like Jesus is actually giving them some gentle correction by saying, you know, you don't have to wait until you have enough faith. Okay? Just obey. Just obey. Don't stumble the little ones. Forgive those who have offended you after you rebuke them and they repent. You know, you don't need greater faith. You just need to obey. Now, why did Jesus answer in such a strange way? You see, sometimes when we look at men of faith, we say, wow, this person, you know, his faith can literally, almost literally move mountains, you know. And then, and they do great things for God, and we look at them, we compare them with our own faith, we say, I have no faith. I cannot do anything for God. And it doesn't help, because the focus is wrong. It's not a matter of how great your faith is, but rather, where have you placed your faith? Who are you trusting in? That's the more important question. Now, the other day I drove across Penang Bridge, right? And you know what? I exercised great faith to drive across the bridge. You're looking at me, you're wondering, Pastor, is there something wrong with you? I drive across the bridge every day. I don't even think about it, you know? You mean you need to exercise faith to drive across this bridge? Actually, whenever you drive across a bridge, you are committing your life to the bridge that it has the ability to hold you up and it will not drop you into the ocean, okay? Because bridges are made by man and maintained by man and they can collapse. In August last year, on a very important highway in Italy, this bridge collapsed and 37 people were killed instantly. They put their trust in this bridge and this bridge failed them. Just at that moment, some of them narrowly escaped. They were stranded on the bridge. You know, it's like, ha, ah, ah. You know, I think it will be something they will never forget, right? So, you are committing your life to a bridge when you cross over the bridge. But let me assure you, 
Go back to Penang Bridge. This bridge is still safe. So far. <laughs> 1984, I think it was it, 85, it was open. For the last 34 years, it has carried millions of vehicles, including large trucks. And so far, it is still standing up. In other words, you can still rely on it. You can still trust it. It is still trustworthy, right? But you cannot say that of, you know, every other structure because it's a matter of who is more worthy of our trust, who has proven to be more worthy of our trust. And, you know, you don't need great faith to trust something or someone that has been proven very trustworthy. That means, you know, they do not fail you time and time again. And in that context, let me ask you, who is the most trustworthy person? Pastor Isaac Chan, thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? He has proven to be the most trustworthy person. Jesus has a great track record. He has never failed anyone in human history. Can I say amen? Amen. So, all it takes is a little bit of faith in the right person. The issue is not our great faith. The issue is our great God. Can you say amen? If, you're, if you have great faith placed in the wrong person, too bad. But if you have placed your faith in the right person who is trustworthy, even if it's just a small amount of faith, it's enough. You see, great faith sometimes exalts men, but true faith exalts God and not men. So Jesus' point is this. It's not how much you have, it's rather who you have that faith in, whether the person is really trustworthy if you have faith in the living God, it can accomplish great things, not because of the size of your faith, but because of the power and the ability of your God. Can you say amen? Amen. So make sure you have placed your faith in the right person. God will do mighty things through the person who trusts in Him, even if their faith is small and weak, because then the glory will go to Him. Now, Two days ago, there was this headline in the Star paper. It turns out many train stations in Malaysia, especially in big cities, right, they are quite deserted. And uh, there are lots of, you know, robberies that have taken place. You know, some are highlighted, but others, you know, are not. So, oh, so scary, you know, to walk through this, especially at night. Now, imagine... If you were walking through at night and then you see, oh, there's a, at least there's a CCTV, you know. But what they found out is there's a CCTV, but there's nobody watching the CCTV. So it's a false assurance, okay. You're actually on your own. So imagine you arrive in KL and you have to walk through one of these stations. It's a long walk and it's late at night and it's dark you know, and a bit eerie too. And you feel very unsafe. Now, let me ask you, how much faith do you need if a security guard says, okay, I'll walk with you, and this security guard offers himself to walk with you? Why do you laugh? He's the security guard. Can't you see he's in uniform? He even has a handcuff, pair of handcuffs 
to lock up all the bad people, okay? You should feel very safe. But you don't. Why? Because instead of him protecting you, you need to protect him. Okay? So if he is walking with you and you walk safely to the other end, and you need to exercise great faith, who gets the glory? You are the God. You, because you need to exercise great faith, okay? He can do nothing for you, all right? But on the other hand, if another guy offers to escort you, this guy at first is escorting you, do you need great faith? Look at his arms. He's about five times the thickness of my arm, okay? Nobody's going to mess with him, man. He just gives you one punch and you are history, okay? So if this guy is walking with you, right, you just relax. You don't need great faith. In fact, you don't need any faith, okay? You just need to walk and you will cross over. And when you cross over safely, who gets the glory? You or him? Him. You've done nothing, right? You just happen to be walking side by side with him. And that is a picture of faith when it comes to our God. You see, when we fail to trust in our big God to protect us, to provide for us, to guide us, to lead us into what is good, we rob him of his glory. We are saying, God, I don't know whether I can trust you or not, okay? But when we exercise faith in Him, even if it's just a little faith, it will bring glory to Him because we are declaring to the whole world that He is worthy of our trust. Can you say amen? And our God is more trustworthy than this guy. I don't know what else this guy can do. Okay, he looks like he came from the mafia or what. <laughs> okay, he can protect you physically, but there's not much else he can do for you, all right? And our God is much more trustworthy than any other person in the universe. Can I say amen? So when you come across a difficult passage that says you need to forgive the person who hurts you even seven times in a day and you say, I cannot, you know, I've got feelings. I cannot forget even. And over time, the, the, the bitterness be, begins to take root in your life. Okay? It becomes rooted. How much faith do you need? You just simply need faith to believe that God has forgiven you your own sin. Have you done that? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, that's right. You have enough faith to forgive the other person. Because if you believe God has forgiven you, that's enough faith. And then you simply tell God, God, I'm having this difficult time. You know? But I trust you have forgiven me. Not because I deserve it, but because of your goodness and faithfulness. So now I ask that you help me to forgive this other person so that your name will be glorified. Okay? So, Lord, please pull out the roots of bitterness from my heart and cast it into the sea. That's the context that 
this scripture comes in. Even if you just have small faith in the great God who has forgiven you of your sins, that root of bitterness can be pulled out by the grace of God and you can forgive that person and it will be cast into the sea. Can you say amen? So the issue is not, do I have enough faith, but will I obey? Will I obey? When we look to Him, He will be glorified, even by our small and weak faith. And then Jesus shifts the focus to something else. In verse, the next verse, He talks about obedience and humility. You see, when we encounter the difficult commands of Scripture, we should focus on more obedience and humility. And uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, put his finger on this. He said, It is hard to believe, not because it is hard to understand, but because it is hard to obey. Now, let me give you this. Let me take you back to the first scripture. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Okay? Now, which part of that do you not understand? Is it the love? Is it the your? Is it the enemy? Or the combination of all three? Which part of that command do you not understand? I fully understand. <laughs> but it doesn't make it easy. Are you with me? So that's why we struggle. We struggle because it is hard to obey. And Jesus tells us, Okay, this is the attitude we need to have. We should see ourselves as God's slaves. We owe Him obedience in all things. We are unworthy of any of His blessings. So, you know, He's actually using a, he's using a, a human example. Okay, now let's, let's go back to the, the Scripture. Let's, uh, can you go back to the, the, scripture, the long Scripture text? Okay, show the middle frame, right? All right. Now, do you see the, the context there? Jesus is saying, you know, suppose you, you know, you have uh, this, this screen is off. Can, can somebody turn it back on so that I can re refer to it? Okay. All right. So, look at the context now, right? He's saying that, you know, you have great faith. Uh, if you just have a little bit of faith, this is what you can do. And he says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or Looking after the sheep. Now, this is very common in the Middle East at that time. People own slaves. Now, I'm not saying that you should have a slave. Slavery is over, right? You say, Pastor Isaac, you're wrong. I'm a slave to my wife. <laughs> my husband treats me like a slave. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about that, okay? This is called the institution of slavery. It's over, okay? But it was accepted at that time. And Jesus is not endorsing slavery. He's just giving an example that was common. And everyone understood this because this is everyday life, okay? So he's saying now, you have a servant plowing, looking after the, the, the sheep, okay? And the servant is out there the whole day. You know, he's working hard. He's sweating. And then he comes back in the evening. He's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he says, what will the master do? Will the master say, Ayo, you have been working so hard for me, you faithful servant, you know, 
Oh, it's been very hot today. Can you just come down, sit down and have a drink? You know, let me serve you dinner and you relax. And after you have refreshed yourself, then you can go and cook dinner for me. Is that what he would do? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and then you wait and you watch me eat. <laughs> and after I finish eating, then only you go and eat and drink. Until then, he's fasting, you know. Now, then Jesus asked a, a question, okay? The next frame. Go to the next frame of Scripture. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? It's a question. Was there an answer? Do you see an answer there? There's no answer. Because it's a rhetorical question. There was no answer because all of them were laughing. <laughs> what a funny question. This never happens, you know. Which master is going to thank his servant? It doesn't happen. He's just doing his duty. Okay? So that is why Jesus is trying to tell us, right, that the servant's job is just to do his job. You know, he cannot say that, tell the, the, the master, Master, today I feel very tired. You know, the sun was extra hot today. You know, now hot season. Huh? You go on until April. No. So, can you give me a bit of, you know, slack? Lah. Let me just go and, you know, take a shower, cool down, you know, relax, take a drink, you know. Then when I'm refreshed, then I'll cook lah, for you, right? If not, then you take care of your own dinner, lah. Can he say that? No, he has no choice. He is there to serve his master, okay? And, you know, we live in a day where the self is exalted. And even when we say we follow Jesus, we follow him for our own benefit rather than for his glory. And we are so concerned about our feelings rather than our duty. And Jesus is shifting the focus now back on duty and he's saying that you know never forget that god is our master and he is our redeemer and we sang the song that he bought us earlier so we owe him obedience because we owe him everything we owe him our life and our existence can you say amen and so even when we obey him we have only done our duty which of you, when you report to work on time, your boss comes and praises you? Wow, you're so good, man. Every day you come on time. You know? What will I do without you? No, you're just doing your job and getting your salary at the end of the month. Okay? Which of you, when you pay your bills, the cashier will say, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for paying your bills. You know? No, you're just doing your duty. It's a matter of duty. This is what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. The human tendency is that we focus on ourselves. I am so spiritual. I forgave my brother seven times today. Yes, you have. But Jesus concludes, verse 10. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, let's all say this together out loud, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. 
That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. We should see ourselves as God's slaves. We owe Him obedience in all things. We are unworthy of any of His blessings. Lest we become proud of our sacrifice or our service and think that God owes us something. We have no claim on God, really. All that we have, we receive by grace. We were lost and on our way to hell. And God in His mercy saved us. Can you say amen? And He gave us the privilege of serving Him. And so, when we come to the more difficult commands of Christ, let's look to the cross. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. That's why every month we come to the table of communion to remember His sacrifice for us and to remember the fact that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He could have demanded our service. He is the King of Kings. He is the Creator of the universe. He owns us, but He came to serve. And we can follow his example. On your way out, go to the table. <laughs> Learn to serve. And then we will grow to become more like Jesus. For we are most like Jesus when we serve. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. Speak to us, O God, so that we may follow the example of our Lord Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, and we have received his gift of life. We have received forgiveness, salvation. We've been brought into a new covenant relationship. And out of gratitude, may each of us learn to serve as Jesus served us, to serve other people as Jesus served us. We thank you, Lord, for this great privilege in Jesus' name. Amen.